0: Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather
1: collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the Leather Collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new Leather Collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley
2: for the love of home. You can support this podcast at patreon.com/slash partners in crime media.
1: Whatever struggles you're facing, from depression to anxiety to trauma and grief, BetterHelp can connect you with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient, you can schedule secure video or phone sessions, as well as chat and text with your therapist. And anything you share is completely confidential. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Crime Writers on Listeners can even get 10% off a first month with discount code Crime. crime. So why not get started? Simply go to betterhelp.com slash crime and fill out a questionnaire to get matched with a counselor you'll love today.
2: So Rebecca, you know it's already very hard for me to get you anything for Christmas. I
1: do. You can't even get the right kind of pasta at the grocery store.
2: <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Think about how difficult it can be to buy for co-workers and the boss Ugh. and that cousin that lives far away. It's the worst. That's why, thankfully, There's Thoughtfully.
1: Oh, my God. I used Thoughtfully this year. I loved it.
2: Yeah, Thoughtfully is the easiest way to find a thoughtful gift, a beautiful gift that comes in sets that are ready to give any type of person for any type of occasion. Each gift set is expertly curated, and uh, they're not just a product. They are an entire experience. Think about the thing that you want to buy for the boss.
1: Yeah, the stuff you want to buy for the boss, but even more so... If
2: you have a boss you want to buy for. It. Yeah,
1: the brother-in-law, which I think is the most elusive gift uh, person to buy for of all. And I got my brother-in-law, a.k.a. your brother-in-law, an incredible gift on Thoughtfully. I'm I'm actually super excited to give it Don't to him. Don't say
2: it, because he listens. There's something for everybody, <laughs> like coffee, chocolate, cocktails, hot sauce, whatever you're into... Thoughtfully works with world-class brand partners like Starbucks and Godiva Chocolate, and they've been featured on Oprah's list of favorite things. So whatever it may be, you can find your favorite gift from Thoughtfully. Thoughtfully has incredible deals throughout December. So visit Thoughtfully.com slash crime Crime. and use promo code crime Crime. for 20% off your order. That's Thoughtfully.com slash crime Crime. and promo code crime Crime. for 20% off.
1: I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about true crime, pop culture. And this week, we'll party like it's 1999 when we review Headlong, Surviving Y2K. Does Dan Taberski's follow-up to Missing Richard Simmons deliver the goods? I look forward to throwing down with Toby during our review. (laughs) Plus, we give our review of the HBO documentary The Sentence. We'll get an amazing true crime podcast update from Down Under. And I'll tell you about something amazing that happened to me today joining me to get that done and more is my real life husband and true crime co-author former TV journalist Kevin Flynn. Hello Kevin.
2: Oye, oye, I'll draw near.
1: <laughs> is that a preview of my amazing story? I think so. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and for some reason this says giant iguana tracker, Lara Bricker. Hello Lara.
0: That's right. I have a new thing for my resume. Um We were on a quick trip to Florida for Fireman Ken's birthday and I watched a giant iguana clear out an entire side of pool chairs of old ladies. (laughs) And that thing could fucking move. Oh my God. They are so fast. So I was on the case of the iguana chatting up all the people that work there to find out where it lived and what was the story. And did you solve
1: the case? Yes or no? Don't leave us in suspense. Well, they
0: told me basically this is like his territory and we're here and he just does this and this is kind of what happens on a regular basis. So yeah. don't so be alarmed. So basically,
1: he's wildlife and don't be a dick to wildlife is what they told you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and finally, our captain of woke cynicism, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy and our Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Good evening, Toby.
3: Good evening. I actually, uh, when we were in Costa Rica, this freaking enormous iguana fell out of a tree. Whoa. And like <laughs> almost landed on top of this British guy who was like two Shays uh, lounges behind me. Wow. And you're just like, bam. I like, got up. I was like, what the, was that? And the guy's looking at me, he's like, that thing almost landed on me. It's this oh sort of like God. stunned iguana sort of Jeez like loped away.
1: Whoa, wow. Anyway, it's a thing. That's my
3: iguana story.
1: It's a good iguana <laughs> story. I used to have a pet iguana when I was in high school. Okay.
2: Did so, it run off to the islands? It, where
1: what was its name? I don't even remember. I don't remember. I used she, to she's a got store. this amazing story
2: she wants to tell. I do.
1: I do, okay. but oh, yeah. I, I don't know how to start it. So Kevin, can you tee it up for me?
2: So Rebecca finally got to check something off of her bucket list.
1: I did. The she, biggest thing.
2: She got to be on a jury. Today. Ooh. And And get ready. She was the foreman. You were the foreman? (laughs) No way.
1: Not only was I the foreman on a jury today, I, like, was in a criminal trial on a jury that found this... Uh, person the defendant not guilty on all three charges what? and it, I was driving to court I was I've been so like wanting to talk about this for the last few weeks that I had been, been being called jury duty but you're mm-hmm. not really supposed to talk about it until after it's over and the way it works in New Hampshire is you get called three times in a period of three months if you get your summons you have to show up so I showed up in October once November once in December once you show up you're part of the pool and you either get picked or don't pick so I showed up this Tuesday I got selected, and of course, since this is New Hampshire, I knew the judge, <laughs> which apparently is not Who was the Judge <laughs> um, John Kissinger. His kids go to school with my kids, like you know, it's a whole oh my thing. God. But that's not one of the disqualifying questions they ask if you know the lawyer. Didn't he wave
2: to you when you walked in?
1: He wa- he waved to me after I got picked. He was <laughs> like, "Hey," um, but yeah. So I got to make to, the cut. Yeah, so uh, the the trial was a one day trial. It start. It was this. It was today. And on the way driving to the courthouse this morning, I was driving to the courthouse and I was on the Is highway. Is the story
2: going to start with you driving in at the morning and, and go the whole day?
1: I, no. But I will tell you guys for the three of you and for our podcast audience, I thought, I'm going to be the foreman of this damn journey. <laughs> I got to figure <laughs> out a way to make this happen. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not enough to just be on a journey. Like, if I'm going to do it, like, I really want to have the whole. You guys know, I. this has like been my dream come true. I've been waiting my whole life for this. I
2: know. <laughs> for
1: this so case. How did, you, how did you do it, Rebecca? How did you take control? It was very, very difficult. Uh, after we listened to all the trial testimony, and we were sent back to the jury room to deliberate, and they had ordered like sandwiches for us and stuff, which, by the way, awesome perk of being on a jury, free lunch. The bailiff came in and said, you guys had to pick a four-person. And we all looked at each other, and I said, does anybody here want to be the four person? Because if no one does, I'll totally do it. And everyone was like, oh no, you should totally do it. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> that was how it happened. And also, oh, by the way, gosh. I have a hidden talent that you guys might not know about. Uh, at work, like one of my skills that's known at my job is I'm really good at running meetings. So I actually knew... That I could do it. I had a process Mm -hmm. in mind that I I thought everybody would like be really excited about. And yeah, it It was- You had
2: boys all the way around. I
1: did. I did a lot of positive reinforcement. How long did 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 you deliberate for? Oh my God, like 12 minutes maybe. (laughs) It was so fast.
2: Now, we are writing partners. Yes. You and I. Yes. We tell the same stories. We help each other out. Yes. I'm not mansplaining. I'm gonna tell the fucking story of this trial, Why okay? Is that? Because I'm just gonna cut it, right Kevin. to the quick. Okay, cut so cut it was to a it. woman who was uh, charged with possession, a couple other charges. So they bring out the evidence and they pull out a baggie with one little pill in it. Mm-hmm. And like, and what did you think? Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. yeah so we were like, it was
1: very strange. I mean, I have to tell you. It by the was... way, she
2: also told the cop, you know, when you go through the bag, am I gonna your purse? Am I gonna find anything? And she said, "Well, just my weed." Which apparently she had a legal amount of weed. Yes, but then she, did. she was surprised as all hell when they pulled out a plastic bag with a Xanax in it. A
1: Xanax, which literally one. said Xanax on it. Yeah. What?
2: And oh my and, God. and the
1: state's uh witness, one of their witnesses, was the crime lab tech <laughs> who tested the Xanax, which literally said Xanax on it. And and, and the defense attorney was like we're stipulating like we know that that Xanax pill was in there we're not saying it wasn't, it wasn't Xanax, like, yeah. we're just saying like she doesn't it wasn't hers or she doesn't know where it came from and there was a whole chain hey, of custody thing that's it was weird three
2: hours overtime for all of those motherfuckers listen
1: it was so great it was the whole experience was so great
0: So and, and wait, wait, how long it the... takes to get something through the crime lab I mean like seriously to get months. something
1: tested it's like a year year like wait time sometimes months which is, yeah yes. ridiculous well yeah. I'll tell you the thing that gave me so much hope and I actually said this to the jurors you know, we were kind of done deliberating, but we were still eating our sandwiches. So I was like, should we just continue the to system. talk while we finish eating our sandwiches so that we don't have to, like, rush finishing our sandwiches? Um, so we just started talking about the case and, and, and sort of other aspects of the case that were interesting to us and other things that happened in the courtroom that were interesting. And the thing that I said to this these 11 other people, which I really meant, is that with all of the stuff that we read about and we talk about on the show and that we hear about... Here in this case, we had a defendant who clearly was didn't have money. Uh, she comes from a very difficult set of circumstances. She admitted on the stand that she suffers from mental illness. Her, you know, the, the witnesses that are part of her family and her friends, they were all in similar situations. You can tell these people have a lot of contact with police. None of these people in this jury room took that into account. All they wanted to talk about was the fact that the state did not make a good case. They did not prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. The evidence was thin. They didn't understand why it was being brought to trial. And that despite the credibility of the cop, who, by the way, did not dispute any of the defense's case. So he was like completely in line. It was very strange. These people put all the stuff we hear about working against defendants aside and they were like, why are we here? This case sh- is- should not be here. It's so thin. They did not prove anything. And I was just so proud.
2: All right. American <laughs> <laughs> justice served. It's very
0: exciting. That's exciting. I hope this was a public defender case. That's all. It wasn't. But he was a very good lawyer. What?
2: Okay, <laughs> Private lawyer. <laughs> why? Well,
1: who knows? Really? Maybe he was
0: working as a public defender. Oh, they probably
1: had a, okay. We don't Carry know. On. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah.
3: What's the charge for having one Xanax?
1: Possession. Yeah. She had two a charges. Possession of a, of a, of of a, a controlled, controlled substance. And also, yeah. she had a possession charge with a- Xanax
2: isn't a controlled substance. It is.
1: It is a controlled yeah. substance. And she had possession without a prescription, which was a second possession charge. And that is a prescription And she had an uh, unlawful trespassing yeah. charge, which- she was at her aunt's house, and her aunt was like, it's okay. I said she could live there. Like She wasn't trespassing. Part of it came down weird. to
2: that she said that she didn't know that was in her, her purse, and the cop said she seemed genuinely surprised that that was found in her purse. And so as far as knowingly being in possession, it certainly that's didn't right. meet that prong. Yeah,
1: because one of the prongs of possession is knowing. is, yeah. is knowing. So that's huh. it's interesting.
3: It's so weird that that made it to trial. Yep. Yeah, that's it. it yeah. <laughs>
1: That's a lot.
2: Your tax dollars at work, Toby. Hey, just piling on the charges, Sarah Canning would be so upset.
1: I know. Well, I'll I'll just say one thing. The the most thrilling moment maybe of like, I hate to say, Kevin, I'm not like saying this is more exciting than our wedding or having our children. I know. But being the person who got to stand up when they say, how do you find? (laughs) And being the person who gets to say not guilty standing there and that like, it was was so exciting. I'm sorry. What was the reaction?
2: In the courtroom, I When don't the know. first not guilty.
1: Business as usual. I don't know. I don't. No I, I wasn't like, really looking. Let
2: out a sigh. Relief. Really. There's no noise. No nothing. I wasn't
1: doing that thing where I was like looking at the defendant when I. didn't want to be that person. Not
2: even the attorneys. No. Uh, all right.
1: It was just great.
2: Well, we appreciate your service, Rebecca. Thank you.
0: <laughs> it's exciting. I don't know if it's as exciting as the timber taking trial. Yeah. Um, just because yeah. I like to say that, but um, nothing will well, ever this be. This is her exciting. first one. Yes, it's my this is my first one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Okay. Way to stick it to the man.
1: It was. It wasn't just me. It was me and eleven of my fellow New Hampshire citizens. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you went to. You left for jury duty, and I said I feel bad for those other eleven people. Why? I said you guys all better be on the same page because Re- Rebecca is a force.
1: I was not a force. I It'll was be just 12 a very. I was a moderator, and mm-hmm. I w- and I I, I took hey, polls. Everybody,
2: you were on the same side as everybody else. But if there had been Thank a God. split, oh. oh Jesus! All right. If there had we wouldn't been be able one of those to do this people. podcast
1: it's <laughs> true it's true all right well moving on let's move on to a, a, a trial that turned out a little differently shall yeah. we HBO has brought us yet another harrowing tale of injustice with the true crime documentary, The Sentence. In the film, Rudy Valdez, who's also a first-time filmmaker, tells the hard-to-believe story of his sister, Cindy Shank, a mother of three girls who received a 15-year mandatory sentence for conspiracy charges related to her murdered ex-boyfriend's crimes. The film gives an unusual look at the consequences of mandatory minimum sentencing, and also doesn't apologize for its homespun production style.
3: Hello? This car is from a federal prison. Here. Hello, mom.
2: I love you, princess.
4: Do you know why mommy's there?
2: The
1: kids that lived with her were doing bad things, and that's why she's there, because she was actually with those kids. The sentence comprises scenes cut from years of footage shot by Valdez, but what started as a home movie diary later turns into a cause as the family hopes beyond hope that Cindy will receive clemency from the Obama administration. One note, we will be discussing spoilers from the sentence, so if you want to skip to the part where we just say whether or not you should check it out, go ahead and look at the time code in the show notes and uh, head on over to that part of the podcast. So the first thing I want to talk about is the very amateur filmmaker style of this film. Well, okay. well Kevin, we talked about this when we were watching it. There were some shaky camera shots. There was some weird framing. In the
2: very beginning. Right. We actually, Back in 2008.
1: Right. So can you just address what you see at the beginning versus kind of how it evolves like, I, throughout the film?
2: I think, it, I mean, to me, I, I, I feel like the uh, okay. filmmaker was getting better at his craft. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the shots were... A lot better, you know, the going on. I mean, they were they were a little, they were framed up better, a little more depth of field, and a little richer. And well,
1: he didn't think he was making a movie at first, right? I think
2: that's probably it. I mean, to what extent he thought that, but
1: well, he didn't think that.
2: Yeah, the very the very early stuff with the kids running around and screaming, it seemed like a home movie.
1: Yeah, he was making a home movie yeah. to to chronicle mm-hmm. what his sister was missing. Mm-hmm. when she was in prison, and then that footage later turned into the movie, which I just thought was interesting. Uh, Laura, despite the fact that this film has that very sort of amateurish look at parts, it's very moving right from the start, right? You don't have to get over that. It was. Um, I think because you were
0: hearing directly from the three daughters, um, that was the part. And it that didn't really start to hit me until it moved along towards the end. But I think just listening to these little girls who... Their reality was just, they were trying to make the best of it, but it was just so sad as you're listening to it. I think at one point, one of them says something about, well, it's small when they're going to the jail. But we can still have fun there. And Mm. I'm like, oh, my God, this is like their frame of reference. I mean, it was it was just heartbreaking.
1: Now, Toby, this is a very unusual look at the criminal justice system. And it's different from anything else we've talked about before, because there's very little about process here. We don't see a trial. We don't meet the alleged perpetrator of these crimes that Cindy is attached to. We don't see cops. We don't see lawyers. It really just is a look at the home lives and the effects of this very long sentence on this family what are your thoughts about that do you miss any of those procedural aspects when you're watching this film
3: you know i didn't miss any of the procedural aspects there were a few things like there were some questions i had that it would have been nice to just like have like a 10 second like explanation about like why after all those years they decided to go after her and you know put her in prison when You know, the actual events that occurred were like, what, like six or seven years prior. Mm -hmm. And she thought that they weren't going to charge her with anything. But for the most part, you know, I don't think that was like a real concern. The real concern was what are kind of the impacts on her like larger family, uh, like both her her husband and kids and also her parents and and her siblings. What's the impact when somebody goes away for eight years? How do the people who are left behind deal with it?
1: We are we are kind of given a character study of the people left behind. We hear a lot of Cindy on the phone, speaker phone as she's mm-hmm. talking to her kids mm-hmm. and her wonderful husband. Mm-hmm. And then we also follow along as their marriage falls apart. When she's in prison because she's been at that their point point for years, and she wants him to move on, and he wants to move on, yet we don't actually see any of those outside factors. We still stick with this nuclear family, and Kevin, I thought that was a really interesting way to tell this story. Like they didn't go on all of these making a murder style tangents with, and then we meet the husband's new girlfriend, or and then this. Mm -hmm. It really does just stick with these core characters very much through rudy's lens because he has access to these people what did you think of that as as a choice and we only get like experts quote-unquote experts like innocence project type people like once or twice throughout the film but it really sticks very up close with his family
2: yeah it is and they are obviously the emotional center of the whole piece i saw one of the promo uh posters like movie posters for it and it was a picture of the mom and the three kids, and the way they framed it, it's the mom's head. Cindy's head is cut off, and it's the three kids. And the the slug line was, "She did the crime, they did the time." And by they, it's you're out. The family. It's they're looking at the kids. Yeah. And so from the very beginning, when you see young Autumn at like eight years old, oh. and all cute, and she doesn't like you know really wear it on her sleeve so much until the very end. You know, you could tell that it's troubling her, and it troubles us, and. You know, you just think that when you look at those kids, you know, it's unfair.
1: Yeah. And that and we watch them grow up, which is so devastating. Yeah. There's a baby. And then there's and then, you know, Autumn, who's a little kid when it starts, is then taller than her mom. Yeah. At the end of the film. Uh, Laura, you know, that slug line, it makes me think, you know, she did the crime. They did the time. Did she do a crime, Laura? Like, what did you think about this whole sentencing idea and this whole idea of mandatory minimums where somebody who's essentially just there? is now attached and has to basically pay the price for something somebody else did. That's the whole war on drugs thing. What, what are your thoughts on that? It seemed
0: ridiculous but I, I also felt like you know where we were talking about earlier where we didn't have necessarily like the courtroom information and the legal side of this because it was focused on the people. I, I wanted some more information on that because I was just like How can this be possible? I mean, I just, I couldn't understand how something like this, I mean, I know this is the way that it works with these mandatory minimums, but it just seemed so unfair, so blatantly unfair. And I was like, you know, mitigating circumstances here, like how could they, but there's nothing you can do. I guess I wanted a little more of the legal side of that because it was something that it seemed just so outrageous and so unfair. And these poor kids, I mean, it was heartbreaking watching them. All of a sudden, when you looked and you're like, the oldest one's grown up now, it just seemed insane. Toby,
1: what did you think of the idea? I mean, the whole reason for her incarceration is like super convoluted as the film, as as she actually tells us in the film, she's doing time for not turning in a dead boyfriend for dealing drugs when the cops only found out about it after he was killed and then came to the house and found the drugs and weapons. She wasn't prosecuted then. And then years later, she's turned her life around. She's married. She's got kids. And that's when they put her in prison. What did you think about this, Toby?
3: It didn't seem right. You know, I think the sort of ironic thing is that if she had been more involved, like she probably could have snitched on somebody and and not gone to jail. But the fact that she wasn't really involved, that it was this boyfriend and that the cops only found out about any of this happening because they went to his house after he was killed and found drugs and firearms. Sort of the onus is upon her to tell the police about something that she doesn't have anything to do with, but that her boyfriend does. And so the, the sort of theory is, that's her obligation as a, as a citizen is to, is to tell the police about it. And that, that's the only reason why she, she goes to jail. But if she had been involved, knew a little bit more about it, she probably could have you know, cut some kind of deal where she gave somebody else up. So it was kind of this, this situation where innocence is actually like makes it even worse for you because you've got nothing that you can bargain with.
2: I agree with Laura that it probably could have used a little bit more in the beginning, a better description or a better explanation about why she was charged and why it went this way. And you know, if it had been a different documentary and someone who wasn't in the family, maybe you could have gone to the you know the federal prosecutor to get a little context about why why they needed to do why they felt like they needed to bring charges and incarcerate her. And I thought one of the things that was really interesting was when they talked to one of the experts, I couldn't tell if he was a, a former lawmaker or not, but he discussed the loophole that they called the girlfriend dilemma. Yes. where the the
1: mandatory minimums.
2: The the legislators knew that the way they set this up with sort of compelling You know, putting rights on certain people and conspirators, because that's what she was really, you know, charged with as being a conspirator in this drug operation, that to be the wife or the girlfriend or maybe even a, a child of the, you know, the real criminal, you're going to get caught into it because that's the way it's written. And they never put in a, a loophole for the girlfriend dilemma. And they left it in. And this is what, what got her caught up. And I thought, I was like, man, that's too bad because it, it certainly is not something that you could say was an unforeseen consequence of writing the legislation this way. They they foresaw the consequence.
1: Right. And they, they gave right. it a name. I have to tell you, I actually disagree uh, with both you and Laura on this. I really found... One
2: fucking jury, and guess what? No,
1: I found found the lack of exposition about what it was just fine, because that's not, to me, what this film was about. The film was about what it's like, and whether or not... I mean, I think we all agree that it's unfair. I mean, I don't think that what happened ultimately ends up happening would have happened if it was fair that she was uh, Mm -hmm. in prison. I think we all agree it was unnecessary. I think the film addresses that. But it's really about sort of the absence of a family member when they're incarcerated. I mean, that's kind of really what it's about. And the fact that it's unfair obviously adds a layer here and makes the family more sympathetic because they really are victims of this thing that they had no control over, they had nothing to do with, and her absence is a character in the film. Yep. I mean, and, and to me, it's like that's really the whole point is you see this dad who is like such a hero dad. I mean, in so many respects. I mean, I, and I, I sort of, like, hear myself saying that and cringe a little bit because he really is just doing what, like, all dads should do all the time, which is helping out, like, like doing what he's supposed to be doing. But, like, he also has this um, very at-ease way of just dealing with the chaos. You see him continuing a relationship with her parents. I'm so
4: thankful to you, Adam. That's been a blessing to me that I've never had to worry about those girls. I knew that they were saved,
3: loved, and taken care of, and that's because of you, Adam. I've had
1: a peace here, and I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart, and you're my family, and I love you, and
4: thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Cindy. 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 <coughs> you can say that again. He's said, I love him, I love We love Adam. We never stop loving him for, him for a moment.
2: Yeah, he's taking care of He's taking care of them right now. He's our son. Rebecca, by the way, if you went to jail for some sort of drug possession yes. thing, right? <laughs> and your sister decided to do a documentary. Yes. And then we got divorced and she came over and said, I'd like to continue interviewing you for this documentary. I would tell her to go, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he that's like, he's a he's a good guy. Yeah. And he's, a lot yeah. of people say, they're like, no, but you're, really, you know, yes, it was a crappy situation. Yeah, you did what I think what you were supposed to do. But a lot of people wouldn't have done what they're supposed to do
3: you know the the access that he has and i think the one thing where it really comes through is there's this very sort of poignant conversation they have she's worried about how she's only going to see her family once a year cuz she's moving further away right. in her prison yep. and it's this just awful conversation where he's like well if you feel that way you know maybe you should try and get to it she's like what if i feel that way you don't it doesn't bother you that you're only going to see me once a year that's the one time when you really get to experience like the stress really working on the two of them. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was it was a difficult couple of minutes of film to watch because it, it just laid very bare, you know, how their relationship is really sort of floundering under that kind of pressure.
1: Yeah, I, d- I did look it up. And it's funny because, I, you know, I think that this is the kind of thing where you have that kind of access. You always worry, like, how do people feel now about, you know, having this be out in the world? And if you look it up, like Cindy and her ex-husband and her kids are doing the press together. They're like going to the film premieres together. Like they're still friends and they're still really trying to work this out. And it's really, I don't know, it's just it's really moving. I mean, I think that they see this as a greater cause now, thanks to the work her brother did. And I mean, Laura, I mean, the one thing that we get in this talking about things that we don't have a lot of in the things that we yeah. talk about. Well, first, there's no villain. Toby pointed that out in a note to me. There's no Doug Evans in this. There's no, like, singular...
2: Just the system. The system yeah. is
1: the villain. Yeah. But then we also get an ending that I think you can Google it if you want, and you could Google it when you were watching the movie, and I'm not going to lie, I did, only because I hate suspense. But the way that it plays out in this film and the way that it's actually captured in real time on the film yeah. is so incredible.
0: Hi, my beautiful girl.
4: Hi. Hello, mother. I love you. It's almost Christmas. I know. And you have 92 days until you come
0: home.
4: 91. 91. How many hours? 2,024. <laughs> How many seconds? I think I'm
1: over a billion seconds. Okay, hold on, okay? <laughs> Are you
0: sure about that? Oh my god! Are you sure about that? Oh my god. Yeah, I have to tell you, how long have we been doing this podcast? Four years? Yeah, four this years. Like this month. I think this is the first time we've watched something where I literally burst into tears while I was watching it. Oh, and yeah. it was Twice I did. Me too. And and it was uh, two times. And I'm like, oh, my God, what's happening to me? But it was at the end when we get this extremely raw reaction that she's getting out and she's been granted clemency and we see the reaction of her family.
3: Something happened. Yes.
0: Cindy's
4: coming home. Cindy's coming home. Today? March 21st. It's in the news. She made clemency. (laughs) <laughs> oh, Jesus. Jesus, you're
0: so but when... Then she gets out early and I'm like, oh, my God, like it's a Christmas miracle. And she's home (laughs) for the holidays and she's like walking around Walmart shopping or wherever they were in her, you know, forest green prison issue jumpsuit, like sweatsuit. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And but then when she comes in and the children see her when she had called, it was set up so perfectly. It was just, oh, my God. Those poor little kids. I mean, they weren't even little anymore. It was such a satisfying ending and it was so emotional to watch. And I was like, God, what's happened to me? I'm a total sap. But I, I think you don't even have to be a total sap because it was
1: just so real to watch that play out. I completely agree with you. And to me, the thing, the moment that made me burst into tears was seeing the little girl hug her mom and seeing that she was taller than her.
3: Like I'm gonna yeah. cry
1: right now thinking about it again. It mm. was unbelievably moving, and I yeah. think I think you know you know this is why Kevin, I was um, asking you the question about sort of the amateurishness of the film, which I actually think adds a great deal to this project. I think if it had been slick, I maybe wouldn't have had the same reactions. But there's the moment Rudy actually goes to pick up his sister from prison. Mm-hmm. And he's holding the camera to capture her coming out and hugging her. And he puts it down and he just like puts the camera because he can't. He can't like film and, mm-hmm. and he, it's more important to him to hold her right. than it is to film and you get that shot that he had set up the camera in the backseat of the car and that's the only shot you get. And like the producer part of me is like, wow, you really fucked that one up, Rudy. You should have brought another <laughs> person with you <laughs> to, to film this. But on the other hand, it's like, that shows where the priority is, not just like for him. Like the film is secondary to the mission, and that's really rare.
2: Yeah, it, it didn't make it feel like a production. It did make it feel intimate, like not a, and not like a home movie, but that like this is you're you're part of the. Of this f- small family, yeah, and you you feel that, and not the okay, let's do this again, but the light's wrong here, so <laughs> you know. can you
1: walk down that pathway again?
2: yeah, I'm thinking about that last scene when she comes <laughs> home. I'm kind of like they should have turned on a couple more lights in that living room, <laughs> but you know is what it is. You know? <laughs>
1: Oh, you know what though? I, I'm not gonna lie. If I got out of, I don't. You don't need to get out of prison to walk into a Walmart and realize it's way too overwhelming and there's way too much stuff to yeah. buy. anything.
2: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, if you, if if folks haven't seen this yet and they want to watch it on HBO, they're probably gonna watch it on HBO on demand. And uh, if you do that, you'll see there is a little. Um, supplemental piece at the end, after the credits, where they uh, they do a sort of a catch-up and an interview, and Nelly, Melly, Rudy, uh, I don't know what she calls him Melly, and his name's Rudy, anyways, they never explain the nickname. Rudy and Cindy are doing things um, like going on uh, tours and, and talking about this issue of Clemency and mandatory minimums minimums in different places, and it was—it's only like two, three minutes. It's really good. One thing stuck with me—they—they had showed one where he was on a panel with about five other people, and one of them was a police officer in uniform, like a chief or something like that. And it was mostly—it was just Rudy talking, but they cut to that guy for one second, and he said, "Prisons ought to be a place for people who we are afraid of, not for people who we are mad at." Yeah. And I feel like that's, I said, that actually gets to it quite a bit. There's a lot of people that were just mad at them because they committed these nonviolent crimes. And we feel like we need to, to be, come down really hard on them.
1: Well, I think we should probably do that thing we do and let our audience know, should they check out The Sentence on HBO if they haven't yet? Thumbs up or thumbs down review, Laura Bricker? I'm going to start with you. What do you think? Is this worth watching? It is. Um, You
0: know, it's 90 minutes. Um, It's definitely another window into the criminal justice system and issues with the system. And it's got a very emotional, raw side to it, especially in the second half. So I would say thumbs up. What about you, Toby? What do you think?
3: Yeah. You know, this isn't usually the kind of thing that I'm into, but I think particularly, you know, I can't believe we've been doing this for four years, but over the course of that time, and we've, we've like taken in so many different Angles on the justice system, and and from different uh, points of view and stuff, and I think this is this is sort of unique for us in terms of looking at the impacts on the family. Yeah, it's just really well done. It doesn't overdo things in a way that I think would have been tempting. Yeah, I, I give it a thumbs up, definitely.
1: Yeah, I do too. I, I love the rawness of it. This is one of those things that uh, I think had the benefit of probably a great editor, whoever Rudy worked with in putting this together. They did a really great job taking footage that in a different context would be difficult to watch or understand or listen to for a long period of time. Weaving it together very effectively, telling a very powerful story, and the weakest things about the production of this end up really bringing its strengths in terms of its emotional impact. I really love this documentary. I give it a big thumbs up, and I recommend our listeners check it out. What about you, Kevin?
2: I'm also a thumbs up. Uh, I swore at the person in the office who recommended this to me. I was like...
1: Fuck you for making me watch this
2: thing. You made me cry. <laughs> it's, uh, it's got a lot of heart, and it's got a good message, and, and, look, and not overly complicated message. You know, It isn't super weighty in the wonkish way, but it is very emotionally heavy and ultimately very uplifting. I give it a thumbs up. And if you do happen to bring somebody home from prison, don't embarrass them by making them walk around Walmart hmm. in their prison outfit they need stuff. Just buy them those damn socks from Bombas. <laughs>
1: That's good they idea. will be
2: happy for That's it. A very good idea. Yet, no need to uh like wander around and get overwhelmed, right? In the stupid giant store right. when all you want are the best socks. That's right. Because you know, if you've been away for many many years, you don't know about all the research that has been done to perfect socks like Bombas That's has. That's true.
1: That's true. I mean, I'm sure that that would be even more impressive than say the invention of. The iPhone.
2: Right. To come out and find she that gets out a sock of jail. with arch support. Oh, yeah. There's iPhones and there's <laughs> GPS. And now you can get the arch support system and the stay-up technology in a bombus sock. Is that
1: a blister tab? Forget GPS. Oh, my God. A
2: cushioned <laughs> footbed? Well, if only I had this behind bars. It would have made things so much better. So whether you're a runner, a power walker, a power lounger, you're in solitary confinement, you're Criminal working out in the yard. <laughs> you're standing in line for the phone. Yep. So you can call home. Bombas is the sock that'll add comfort to your life. Now, I I did say last week that Bombas socks might destroy your family. Right. I stand by that statement. That's right. You will fight. You will say, those are my Bombas socks. They're
1: continuously destroying our family.
2: Yes. So just go out and get Bombas, get multiple pairs of Bombas socks for everybody in your family. And then have a pair on reserve in case... A relative is granted clemency. That's going to be our, go.
1: our <laughs> up close documentary on HBO someday is how Bombus Socks destroyed our family. Bombus.
2: <laughs> It'd be like a, a Captain Kirk yelling about con. Bombus! <laughs> go to bombus.com slash crime and use the code crime, crime for 20% off your first order. That's B O M. BAS.com slash crime Cribe. Code crime and you'll get 20% off your first order
1: What else you got Kevin?
2: What do you think it was like going home that first night out of jail and then getting into a bed?
3: Ooh. Depends on if they had Brooklyn, <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> sheets.
0: Brooklyn oh. and Sheets Brooklyn and Sheets Alright You
2: right. guys <laughs> Brooklyn and Sheets works directly with manufacturers and customers and so they are able to offer five star hotel quality sheets that are affordable and easy to order and the holiday season is a great time for a bedding upgrade for you or a loved one. Hands up, yes, Rebecca, what? I have
1: my hand up because I want to tell you I was cruising around the Brooklyn and website today. You
2: were, okay. And oh. the
1: way they have their stuff bundled makes it like so gift worthy, whether it's the sheet sets or the towel sets, like they don't just sell like, I mean, of course you can just buy one towel if you want to, but they sell like a set two bath sheets two bath towels mm-hmm. two washcloths and a bath mat like exactly what a person would want as a gift these like super luxurious towels like Brooklyn and knows how to put together a gift they know how to put together something that I want for myself like the towels <clears throat> but they also know how to put together something that I would be so happy to send to somebody else
2: yeah and they're super fast shipping make sure that you can get your holiday gifts there on time uh, but hey Christmas is coming and people have wet faces for towels and
0: Hanukkah is here
2: Hanukkah is here
0: they also have pillows, Kevin. They have pillows. Yes, and yes. shut the front door. I actually went and looked because I was staying in this lovely hotel bed last weekend, and I was like, "This is so comfortable." But I noticed the pillows were really nice, and I'm like, "I really wish Brooklyn and had pillows." And I went online, and they
1: do. And they also have down comforters. Just saying. Yeah. I got God, it. yeah. It's time
2: to upgrade everything in that bedroom. Brooklinen.com has an exclusive offer just for our listeners. You'll get $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code CWO. CWO. At Brooklinen.com. Brooklinen is so confident in their product and all their sheets and comforters and towels and pillows and everything. It comes with a lifetime warranty. But the only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code C W O -O. at Brooklinen.com. That's B-R O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N dot com. Promo code C W O. Brooklinen. These really are the best sheets ever.
1: Okay, Kevin. Can you please read this for me? Uh Uh-huh. Sure. True True Crime Crime Podcast 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 Update. Crikey, that was a good one Kevin. Crikey. Lara <laughs> <laughs> Bricker, we heard from many, many, many listeners this week that there was yeah. a very big true crime podcast update in the form of an arrest in the case featured in a podcast we have reviewed on this show. Do you want to fill us in Lara Bricker? I will, yeah. The teacher's pet um, from The Australian, which I have to...
0: Now I feel bad. I only listened to the first few episodes. when you mean we the 30?
3: <laughs> I
0: know. I think I... I know. It went on and on and on. But here's the good news. So almost 37 years after Lynn Dawson, who was the subject of that podcast, disappeared, police this week in Australia charged her husband, Chris, in her death. Now, Chris is now 70. He was arrested at a Gold Coast home early Wednesday morning. And apparently he was pretty calm about it, and uh, the word was he knew this had been coming for a long time.
2: I've been listening to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't call it unexpected, mate.
0: (laughs) So um, in this case, uh, you know, just to recap quickly, this was the case Lynn Dawson. She was a nurse, a child care worker. She vanished from her home in 1982, leaving her two young daughters behind. Days later, her husband Chris, as you recall, he was the rugby player turned teacher, Um, moved his young babysitter girlfriend, then 16, into the house. They had been having an affair. The case kind of started up again back in 2015 when the Cold Case Squad took over. And then the podcast, which has been going on and on, it seems like forever now, um, has been covering new developments. In September, they conducted a search at like a dig behind the home. They didn't find anything. So they still have never found her body. One of the police commissioners in Australia said Wednesday they vow the hunt for Lynn Dawson's body will continue. And they're hopeful that Chris Dawson maybe will help investigators by actually telling them where she is at this point.
2: Do they say how how they've wrapped this up, like what the thing was that said, okay, now we can make an arrest?
0: It didn't look like there was new evidence. It looked like there was perhaps some interviews or some information that may have come from possibly this then girlfriend, but it was it was kind of vague in the articles that I read. Unless you saw something that I didn't, it didn't seem like there was anything clear cut that was released.
2: Yeah, no, maybe we'll have to wait till that yeah progresses a little more, and we'll see how the podcast fits into that narrative.
1: Well, this update spurred a very interesting question from one of our listeners on our uh, Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group, and I'd like to just give us a chance to address that now. Uh, This is from listener Paul. I'm going to edit it slightly just for time. He says, the arrest of Chris Dawson, the alleged perpetrator subject of the podcast, The Teacher's Pet. Good on you, Paul, for saying alleged, because the one thing I've noticed (laughs) about Australian podcasts is they don't have the same kind of like liable stuff that we have. Anyway, uh, the alleged perpetrator subject of the podcast, The Teacher's Pet, has compelled me to air a question I've been thinking about ever since the crime writers on Reviewed It. As I recall, they all, except maybe Laura, I'm not sure if it was Laura or Toby, um, gave a thumbs down to the podcast. So my question is... I guess we gave that because of its production value Mm -hmm. and the way the story was being told. So my question is, at what point does the value of the story outweigh the way the story is told? Does it ever... Had everyone followed the review's recommendation, he says, and not listened to Teacher's Pet, the groundswell of interest and support here in Australia would not have occurred, and further investigation, which led to this arrest, would not have happened.
2: Well, Paul, I'm sorry that we almost let a culprit get away, (laughs) the four of us.
1: (laughs) <laughs> uh, then he, he just finished his. Am I being overly sensitive, as a laid-back Aussie? He points out, by the way, this is no up and vanished. This is genuine podcast power, leading to a potential solved murder.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yada yada. So, uh, Kevin, what is your reaction to that question?
2: I mean, I, I don't know. I should we be sorry that we gave no. it a thumbs down? You know, you take the thought, you know, all the way, then you're saying, well, then everyone should listen to all the podcasts because one of them might be the thing that pushes the case to a resolution. I don't think that's the audience's job. So I think that the podcast is made for our entertainment, not to be an extrajudicial investigation. So, yeah, I mean, if it was... Well, I was going to say, if it was a crappy podcast,
1: it was kind of a crappy podcast,
2: but if nobody listened right now, it's to the
1: it- number one podcast in the world. Well, so. <laughs> all
2: of a sudden, people are like, what the hell did I miss?
1: That's what yeah. happened with Up
2: and Vantage. People are like, what the hell did I miss? And they all come swing, swinging back. Yeah, you know, it's it's, I don't know. You can be a
0: good reporter, and you can seek out good information, and you can ask good questions, and you can also not be good at transferring those skills to the podcast format. Mm. So, you know, this podcast definitely shed light on the case- they were asking questions, they were out there. That doesn't mean that listening to it, like Kevin said, from like an entertainment value, which is how we listen to podcasts, that this was like something that, I wanted to listen to. I really didn't. It just wasn't put together in a way – the storytelling wasn't put together in a way that was compelling. But that I don't think you know should take away from the fact that they were doing good reporting and they were being persistent and they were shedding light on the case, which is is kind of a separate issue.
1: Toby, thoughts?
3: I guess a couple of things. One is I think we we reviewed it pretty early on. And I think if I'm remembering right, or at least maybe this was just my impression – was that it just seemed like it was taking a while to get to what it was actually going to be. Mm-hmm. I think I'm right that it actually, it was before this this arrest, if it wasn't number one, it was really high, like at least a couple months ago, because people said, are you thinking about taking a look at it again? Yeah. So I, I think it was a combination of looking at it kind of early, it got off to kind of a slow start. You know, I, I think part of his question is, you know, how do you weigh the fact that this was like sort of a legitimate real investigative journalism podcast. It wasn't like BS so that even if we're kind of complaining about production values or, or storytelling or whatever, doesn't it deserve a different rating or whatever than something that's just completely ridiculous? I think that's a legitimate question. I I guess at the time, like five episodes in or whatever, it wasn't entirely clear to me that this was going to turn out to be something that was groundbreaking.
1: But did you want to keep listening after what we listened to? That's no. that's the no, question. It was oh. my number. I, 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 oh. I think I was the. I think you I was were the center. Only... Yeah, I think you were, Toby.
3: Because I think when I when I was listening to it, it was like, oh, this looks like they're starting to move towards something that's more interesting. Like I think the last one was, was sort of left with this teaser about, you know, that there may have been like a larger pedophile conspiracy or something. I, I can't remember exactly what. Something like the high school, all the teacher, all the male teachers were dating girls. It was the
1: culture of the high school. Yeah. Yeah.
3: But it had just taken so long to get there. So anyway, I'm glad it turned out better and I'm glad people enjoyed it and all that. So,
1: so we didn't like this, but obviously a lot of people did. And I don't think that people continue to listen to this. Because they thought it was the value of the story. I think for some people this was an entertaining, interesting story that Mm -hmm. they wanted to follow. It just wasn't for me. My objection to this idea that that Paul poses, and Paul, it's not you. I love you, man. It's just the it's just I just want to point something out, is that nobody would ever say, wasn't that newspaper article so important? Even though it was horribly written and full of grammatical errors and made no sense and I couldn't even get through a sentence without having to repeat the sentence four times. But wasn't that article doing something really important? No one would ever say that about a newspaper article. No one would ever say that about a television package that made no sense when you were watching it and you didn't understand what happened at the end just because it was like, you know, the screen was all fuzzy or whatever. For some reason, podcasts are getting a pass in a way that I'm not totally on board with because the bottom line is if you're going to do this medium, like get an editor, do it the same way you would do a newspaper article, like do it the way the medium deserves to be done. This is our issue with the city last week. A lot of really great information that, you know, probably made for some very compelling print material, as Kevin pointed out, but like it wasn't a print story. It was a podcast and it needs to be edited for that particular medium so you know I understand your point Paul I think the reporting is there and I know that this was also like a companion piece to some print journalism that was done the same attention needs to go into producing these things as goes into the print story I'm going to stand by that until I die so I'm not saying that the podcast wasn't worth it obviously a lot of people liked it anyway and good for them. It just I just I just didn't. And so I would not keep listening to something that was painful to listen to just because I thought it might go somewhere someday. To me that's not a good enough reason. It has to actually be something I want to listen to. That's Kevin,
2: why a lot of people listen to this podcast.
1: They, they uh, think
2: it might eventually get better.
1: <laughs> it might go somewhere. <laughs>
2: just, just hang in there. That's right. <laughs> well, not this week folks, but maybe next. <laughs>
1: All right, well, it's an interesting conversation, though, and if anyone's interested in joining that conversation, head on over to our Facebook group. Just look for uh, the Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group. Join. We will let you in, as long as you don't say something offensive when you answer the three questions to get in. Like, if you say, who's your favorite crime writer, and you say, I don't know who they are, like, we're not going to let you in. Come on, just pick. Pick one. (laughs) Pick Kevin, Laura, Toby. No one ever picks me. No, that's
0: not true. (laughs) Laura, you get picked. That's not true. Yeah, yeah.
2: It's a good mix. We all get picked. Yeah.
0: We all get
1: picked, although I get picked. All most, right, let's yeah. be real. That's exciting. You are the host. <laughs> yeah, Rebecca. No, yeah, people are mostly scared that I'm going to like vote against them in the next time I'm in their jury and their in their trial. They're,
2: <laughs> yeah, they're quaking in their boots.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, moving on to our final review of the evening. Dan Taberski, the creator of one of the most hotly debated podcasts on this podcast, Missing Richard Simmons, is back with Headlong, Surviving Y2K. In this ambitious podcast, Taberski unravels the significance and some very quirky people and events surrounding the turn of the century into the new millennium.
4: I'm interested in the concept of the Y2K bug. It was not a bug. Never was a bug. It was a conscious, correct Design compromise. It was absolutely categorically not a bug. So why do they call it a bug?
1: Tobersky weaves a whole lot of stories into surviving Y2K, from the infamous Y2K computer panic, to some overcompetitive baby doctors, to a raiders of the lost crazy family, to the rise of Vladimir Putin, to Taberski's own coming out tale. And there's even some actual true crime in there, too, as we hear about a very strange bank robbery. We're going to be giving major plot points for surviving Y2K during this discussion. So if you want to stay spoiler free and just go to our up or down review of this podcast, check out the time code in the show notes. So I just want to get something out there. I have a new way of approaching these conversations with Toby that I know are going to be contentious. I used to just sort of like wait until the end and sort of let it naturally get there. But I've looked at Toby's notes. And they're terrible on this podcast. (laughs) And you wrote that down. (laughs) So if you look at the script right there, it says Toby's terrible thoughts. Um, so (laughs) So Toby Toby's
2: the only one not laughing.
1: We need to talk about Dan Taberski's writing. I love it so much. I think Dan Taberski (laughs) is the very best storyteller slash narrator slash yard spinner in the podcast industry. I love everything about the way he delivers this podcast. And you do not. So let's get it out of the way. Toby, just tell us why you hate it so that we don't have to talk about it anymore. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) Round one.
3: (laughs) I don't, like, hate it, I guess. And this is just a matter of taste. And if I sometimes run into him at like a conference or something, I would love to have a beer with him and chat. Cause he seems like he'd be a good guy to hang out with. He's so nice. But, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sure he is. Uh, but I, I don't know. Like, I think his like sort of sense of sort of scripted humor doesn't appeal to me. Like his little clever things that he says, I don't find add very much for me. And so there's that. I also, I mean, I don't want to just like go for like a five minute dumping on, on this podcast, do you want me to talk about the sort of central metaphor?
1: Well, it's funny that you think it's central because I don't. He used it in one episode and you saw it as a central metaphor. See, I, I think that
3: well, you, what are you well, he talking spent about? like ten minutes on it. The or bearing, the Bering Strait
1: Land Bridge metaphor that Taberski uses in the coming out episode to talk uh-huh. about making the leap, choosing which side you're going to be on as the millennium approaches.
4: But I like to think I like to think it happened quicker. In a day, a moment, an event, like a movie. A Stone Age posse of people just hanging out on that land bridge. And they feel a rumble. And the geological pressure that's been building for so long erupts into a fissure. And the cave people start screaming and scrambling. And as the fall line grows between their feet, they step to one side or the other. And all of a sudden, they're on different continents, but just feet apart. And now, that choice they've been putting off for years, for centuries, they got to make it now. What are you, Siberian or Eskimo? Because if you're an Eskimo, you got to jump, because that crack in the earth grows by the second. And it's terrifying and awful, but it's also thrilling. This is it. And everyone's screaming louder, and you just can't think about it anymore, because if you don't do it right now, you'll never have the chance again.
3: You know, to me, that's not what this thing has been about at all, which is that it's more about these people, in most cases, it's about these people who have these certain aspects of their personality or their world outlook or whatever, that as they approach the millennium, it sort of becomes more exaggerated. The preppers begin prepping in earnest and the really religious people go off in search of the lost Ark and the computer people have these widely divergent ideas about what exactly is going to happen, but it becomes obsessive. And then there's also a couple things that – don't seem to have anything to do with the Millennium other than that just happens to be when it took place. So anyway, I just thought he spends a lot of time on this metaphor, which I don't think is really, doesn't really describe what this whole thing seems to be about to me.
2: You thought that went all the way through the... Series.
1: I don't think it did air. I think it was just, it was just him setting know, just up his coming out said, story.
0: I, that was just kind of a random story, and all the random stories that were thrown together. But, like, what,
3: what, but what? Like, what's the point then? Why do you spend all that time? He was on setting that?
1: up his coming out story, which was his like personal story here, and he was just trying to.
3: But p- then it's even yeah. it's even less appropriate to that. Th- that's not what this podcast is about.
1: It's not. It's not. I just want to take. I want to quibble with one yeah, thing. About Toby eating <laughs> hamsters, Kevin. That's My, yeah, what that it's about. was a about. great opening. <laughs> I want to talk about that was the hamsters. a great hamsters. opening. Yeah. I want to quibble with one thing Toby said, and I want to have back and forth. I just want disagree peacefully. yeah. I do not believe that Dan Taberski's humor is scripted. Yes, there are scripted parts of this podcast. But if you hear him just talking to people, he is naturally so in the moment, present, and funny in his interactions with people. You hear him interviewing people. Kevin, that style is just so loose.
2: Out the door. Go left. Don't go away. Go back out that door. Yeah. Go left down the
1: the thing and there's a, 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 a gold Honda. Okay.
4: Trunk. Okay. It's not
1: going to be like a dead body in there or anything, is there? It's almost like John Stewart on The Daily Show. When he talks of being a producer on The Daily Show, it's so recognizable to me, that sort of con- conversational interview style. He writes, I think, for himself... Better than anybody else I've heard in this medium. My favorite tiny moment in this podcast, which I've told about 100 people about, because it's one of the best character establishing sentences I've ever heard, is when he meets the giant computer guy and he says,
4: Dave Eddy is 71 now. He's a big guy. Or maybe he just acts big and loud. He's the kind of guy who seems like he'd be hard to kill.
1: Yeah, that, that line is uh-huh. out of nowhere. It means nothing. It sounds natural coming out of his mouth, and I knew exactly what he meant. And that, to me, is the hallmark of a great expositional writer. Now, Kevin, you were just saying you don't think the bridge thing is what the podcast is about. What no. do you think the oh, podcast is well, about? Well,
2: no, I mean, I think it's this. For those of you who haven't listened to this podcast, I will describe it as this it's a series of different stories related to the turn of the millennium, right? And it starts with the, the conceit about. You know, this Y2K computer bug and how this is going to change everything. And it looks at a bunch of different stories. And I think that what this podcast does, which Serial couldn't do or didn't do, is take these different stories that have tangentially similar, right, have some s- connection, and it's probably just, you know, midnight at, at uh, you know, at uh, 1999, and weaves them in an interesting way that keeps us interested in them throughout all six episodes. And I- I've heard all the episodes because I-, I get Stitcher Premium. And if oh. you want Stitcher Premium for free months, just go to stitcherpremium.com slash crime. That's
1: right. Uh, That's right. Then you can listen to shows like this right. in advance. Not
2: to throw in another commercial, but that was one. Serial had all these, like, really kind of interesting stories. But they would sometimes spend a whole episode on one and then not come back to it. And he has a really good mix of stories about Y2K and tells them all the way through and keeps you interested as it goes all the way along. So, I think he did that in a way that Serial did not.
1: The podcast makes a promise and you think it fulfills that promise. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's, it's entertaining. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's just entertaining. Even when he's talking about something serious it was kind of my sense of humor because when my favorite part of this whole show is the bank robbery that happens, mm-hmm. we, we just have a lot of things that are really funny to me. Like just he describes them, but he describes them in such a way. I'm like, yeah, that's how I would describe it if I was telling the story in this sort of offbeat way to a friend like these people who are like yeah we uh we tan the hides with the brains of animals i'm just like what yes or like something else like the spice girls is playing but then there was the, you know puppies kittens henry and the apocalypse like just it just cracked me up um because it was just kind of quirky and offbeat but we all knew somebody and that was the thing is we all knew somebody i'm sure i did as we were leading up you didn't tell us laura tell us about the crazy y2k person you knew Uh. I knew all sorts of crazy Y2K people. I mean, I had a relative who was benefiting on the computer side. He lived in like Westport, Connecticut in a very nice house who was benefiting from the computer side. But we had a detective in my town who was like obsessed and he had like a bunker in his basement and he was stockpiling food and I used to pick on him horribly and I remember I was telling Ken this story and I was like I am a horrible person you know this guy was like divorced and single and building this bunker and so I took this picture of like a woman's face and I blacked it out and I put a question mark in the middle and I faxed it over to the police department like (laughs) at Y2K you will not die you will find your dream woman like you trolled him I was horrible because he was so the, the, the people that were really into it It was like you were like, "Are you even kidding me?" Like you, you really, but they were so into it, and I felt like everybody must have known somebody that was really into it, but you, you didn't.
2: I totally respect Toby's opinion that he doesn't care for the clever writing. Is that for him? That's right. Okay, and that's cool. But Toby, I gotta ask you this: Did you at least feel angry about the one mother who's? Baby was actually the real Millennium baby, and the other one be mad about the doctor who kept the foot inside the baby just so they could beat their in in the race. That that well, pissed guess. me was off. Was
0: hopping on her stomach. That made me mad.
3: <laughs> it's just ridiculous.
0: Those people were crazy. Yeah, and he had had the baby in like 1980, 1990. It was his he was
1: ready for 1999. Well, I want to ask Toby about something else because I, I mean, I, I, of course, the thing I love about doing this podcast is like okay, we've we established it. It's, Toby doesn't love this podcast. That's cool. But we're still going to talk about it anyway.
0: i to ask if you eat cynic. a
1: hamster. Toby, would you eat a hamster if you had to? Oh, <laughs> no.
3: A hamster hero. <laughs>
1: My question—the question is, the
3: really is—have I eaten a hamster <laughs> today? <laughs> Has he eaten one today.
1: So my question for you, Toby, is—you know—about about the so-called bug. We've got Dave, hard to kill, Eddie on one side, versus.
4: Uh, my name's David Robert La but no need for formalities here. You probably know him as something else. Uh, assuming you were following Saskatchewan politics in 1982. That's when I ran for the mayor of my city here, yeah. And I, I, I was unsuccessful. He's twenty-two at the time, so I just ran as my, you know, my middle name is Robert, so I just went as as Bob blah blah, Bob
2: blah blah, Bob blah blah.
1: Bob blah blah on the other <laughs> it's, side. That's
2: hysterical. <laughs> I could it every time.
1: <laughs> blah blah blah. And just just would
2: we'll just go right through it.
1: Toby, do you think the Y two K bug was a hoax, a money making scam? Or was it a real problem that people actually just solved and that's why we call it a scam? What do, Where do you land on that, Toby?
3: It's funny because I, I probably would have answered this differently last week, but I actually was out to dinner with a couple of friends and uh, we ended up talking about it a little bit. One of them had actually been working on it, had, had moved to New Zealand because New Zealand actually had a shortage of programmers. Mm. So they're offering like really good wages and deals for Americans to go over there and live for a year. So that's what he did with his family. And another guy who was in the Air Force who oversaw a bunch of software stuff. And they're both like, yeah, 1999 was a huge pain in the ass because we spent all our time working on that problem. Hmm. So I think there was... There's a lot of work that was done to make it so that it wasn't an effect almost at all. So I think, you know, it, it clearly wasn't going to be the apocalyptic thing that a lot of people thought it was going to be. But I think there probably would have been a lot of other problems, except that people got on, on top of it pretty quickly.
2: I think the answer is both because, yeah, it was a legitimate computer problem, right, Toby? You're absolutely right. I mean, I remember like, oh, we're gonna have to get a patch, or what are we gonna do with Windows ninety five? And uh, you know, it, it was a, a a whole big deal. What might be the scam part, or at least the myth part, is the idea that the bug was going to destroy civilization.
3: That nuclear missiles right. were gonna yeah, going to launch planes dropping out of the sky, right?
2: And the, I, this, you know, those. Traffic lights aren't going to work, and you won't be able to turn the air conditioner on and everything like that. Bob
1: blah blah knew that that was. Bob blah blah.
2: That was the part, <laughs> and um, yeah, so maybe I, it, part of it. I think what he what uh, Dan talks about is the prophet's dilemma, mm-hmm. which is you know the prophet goes out and he says this bad thing's going to happen, and people take measures to make sure the bad thing doesn't happen it makes the prophet look like, oh well, see it didn't happen. Your prophecy was wrong. Right. When it was right all along. So I believe that it's it's very much both. The idea that the world was gonna to come to an end just exaggerated it, but it was a legitimate technological problem. And there were some there was some isolated stuff, you know, which proved that yeah, this if you don't fix this computer bug, it's going to be a problem.
1: Uh, real question. Would you buy The Secret Lives of Coders coffee table book that Dan proposes putting together <laughs> in this podcast?
2: Uh, he sounds very hunky. But, See, that—that uh,
1: that is a very, that's a, actually a really good example of the writing that I love here. Dan had an idea, like, while he was doing this, like... And he just puts it in a very efficient way. He kind of gets it out there and like it seeds it in my mind. I don't forget these people's names. It doesn't matter if I remember them or not because I remember who they are because he injects details like that. That guy used to be a goth. I will always remember the guy who used to be a goth who worked at like Royal Bank of Scotland or whatever, Mm -hmm. who like was called in in the middle of the night to solve the stupid IT problem. What I remember most about him is that in the 90s, he was a goth. He used to use a crimper on his hair. Uh That's more interesting than knowing what he actually typed on his keyboard, at least to me. I just have a question because, Laura, I feel like you are, of all of us, the most likely to sell all your family's belongings... Move Uh to a foreign country, march around with camels in robes that you made yourself, and teach your son how to make cheese with Bedouins so that you could find the Ark of the Covenant yourself like Nancy Drew in a banana cave... And try to bring about the apocalypse. Do you not agree that you are the most likely of the four of us to actually do this? Well, probably out of this group. But I I think
0: I'm the one who would be most likely to want to do something like that. But I don't think my family would be on board with that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I have a hard enough time convincing them to do all sorts of other things. Like they don't even want to ride the holiday trolley with me for crying out loud. So I'm not sure how I would be able to convince them to do
1: that. But I would be totally on board with that. All right. Well, let's talk about the bank robbery we got to get there. Yeah. Because this is yes. the sort of like, it's funny because I I kept thinking like, the, I mean, Dan's coming out Because it stories, was a funny bank robbery. Obviously the center of this. I think <laughs> it was the inspiration for this. But this fucking bank robbery story.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, so we're talking about Olathe, Kansas, a Bank of America. Uh, we have a bank robber named Nikki. And we have many other characters that emerge in this New Year's Eve 1999 bank robber. We've got Ron the bank teller. Becky, the assistant manager and resident badass who knows like Krav Maga and was in the military. And then we have John and the bank manager slash voice of reason. And then we have what we, I think all agree is the worst police negotiator in the history (laughs) of policing. Sean
0: is concerned about her. Sean is very worried about her, but he's so sick right now. He can't talk. I don't want her to give up on this conversation.
4: Sean is not really sick, by the way. This is Nancy's strategy to get Nikki worried enough about Sean that she'll just give up.
0: Because I'm, trying to, I'm trying to let her know his feelings. Okay, Sean,
3: you're going to have to say that again. Okay. Sean loves her, is that what you said? Yes. Sean loves you. I heard it, I heard it, I heard it, come on. And um, he's very concerned about your feelings. Heard it, heard it, heard it. Let's go. But he's, he's sick. What
2: else did you say? So, yeah, Nikki, she's not buying it.
3: What did you think
1: about this story?
2: I thought it was very well told, like many of those stories. are. They they aren't all perfect in my book, but this one was really great. And what made it great is we had the extemporaneous tape. Yeah, I was rolling my eyes at these cops. They're just playing the hostage negotiation playbook step by step, (laughs) you know?
1: (laughs) Sean's sick.
2: <laughs> can, can I, come on, you want to come outside? He's not feeling well. And you know, <laughs> even d-
1: d- the bank employees are rolling their they're eyes. They're rolling their eyes. <laughs> like, come off of
2: it. You're gonna get me fucking. Can you just send in a pizza? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, ho-
2: I hope that they got out and they said, "I am filing a complaint with you,
1: Wendy or whatever, Wendy, her name, Nancy or, or, or whatever the other guy."
2: Was- I've been doing this for thirty years. It was like,
1: "Fuck you, <laughs> <laughs> Toby." What did you think about the hostage negotiator that we heard? Who was so bad, actually, we got two horrible hostage negotiators. But so bad that even the hostages were like, "Come on, you're not going to make me repeat that stupid thing you just yeah. said to the person keeping me hostage." What did you think of this whole scene, Toby?
3: I couldn't figure out like, was she really a hostage negotiator, or was she like a cop who like <laughs> did like some kind of correspondence course? She or read something, a pamphlet. <laughs> Because it was, it was, it just seemed like the kind of thing where, like, any person who thought it through it all would be like, you know, you just can't keep throwing that shit out there. It's just not <laughs> working at all. And uh, it's actually, it's funny because my, my one of my sister's best friends is an FBI hostage negotiator, like legit. Mm-hmm. And I would love to talk to her about that little scene and <laughs> get her take on it. <laughs> I thought what was weird about that whole episode is. So it's kind of told in this lighthearted way, although almost nothing about it is really lighthearted. Yeah, and it changes to in the aftermath, it becomes a lot less lighthearted. But even at the time, it's like this woman who goes in there is like she's at the end of her rope. She lost a child or a baby or whatever, and then you know you find out later that you know she owes all this money and stuff. So she's really like acting out of complete desperation mm-hmm. without thinking anything through or whatever. It's not like that funny a story, in all right. honesty. Right. The, the only thing that's really funny is that you've got this completely inept hostage negotiator, and that part is hilarious. And they're but saved by in, a messy There were some
0: other funny parts, Toby. There were some other funny parts.
3: Well, he's, he's finding humor in what is not actually a very humorous oh. situation. It was my, was my take on it.
0: This is where I guess, see, I just have this like gallows humor because this is, I think this is just my household because this is, you know, I have a first responder husband. I've worked in the, you know, as a journalist. So I would find humor in this as well as he did. So I think maybe that's why it appealed to me. But like in the beginning where we have. You know, she gets the money and then it's heavy. So she has Ron, the employee, carrying her bag of cash. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what? And then they're like, well, why did she come to this bank? Well, the first bank she tried to go to was not, you know, she couldn't get in. And then John Ann, who was doing her Y2K checklist <laughs> while yes. she was being <laughs> how
1: some paperwork.
0: I'm just, I'm, I'm irritated. I was irritated at the FBI. I was irritated at the police. I'm like, this should be over. I like that everybody's like, why is John Ann
4: in such a bad?
1: Yeah,
0: (laughs) and so I'm like doing my Y2K checklist thinking this night's going to never end. (laughs) It was like a bad sitcom. It was like a bad sitcom playing out. So I know there was serious parts to it, but I I kind of appreciated the humor because it made the storytelling to me a little more like I was listening to it and I'm like yeah I, I would have picked
1: up on that
2: <laughs> best part is Sean waited for her and then nine years later they got married
1: I know what the f- listen yeah. all she wanted to do was talk to Sean and and then when she put the gun down
0: so she set the gun down to find a pen and
2: that's
1: when Ron grabbed the gun <laughs> And the bank employee has taken the gun, and they're just sort of basically tossing the gun back and forth like a hot potato. Like a monkey in the middle. And the whole time, this trained, quote-unquote, police officer is just going like, Ron, John Ann,
4: Ron, John Ann, is anybody
2: there? What's going on in there? We're doing your job for you. Shut up. Nancy. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's,
1: it's a very strange sort of tableau, and and to me represents just sort of like what those people were doing on that night, and how different it was than what other people were doing on that night. It, and then it ended up on the ticker in Times Square. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> As Dan was contemplating how he was going to ruin his poor wife's life, it was definitely a. Oh. a I mean, if you think about the fact that we are talking about a <laughs> podcast, that includes the stories we've talked about. Plus includes stories about preppers who've buried treasure in Mexico. Plus includes a story about a reporter, a lesbian reporter in Russia who is there when Vladimir Putin basically is given control of the country and her life ends up completely changing as a result. Should be a major story. Ends up being sort of a backstory to some of these other tales.
3: And it's it's macha Gessen. I mean, yes. it's not just like a you know reporter. I mean, she's she's big time.
1: Yeah. There's a lot going on here, and I guess judging by this panel, we either think it works or it doesn't. So why don't we get to that part, where we where we say whether we think it works or it doesn't? Laura Bricker, would you tell our listeners that it is worth the journey to listen to Headlong Surviving Y2K with Dan Taberski? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this podcast? I'm going to start with you, Laura. I'm
0: going big thumbs up because, you know, I love this because I lived through this. And I think, you know, for a certain generation of people, this was like I was at my first job. I remember being in the newsroom, all the stories that were happening. And, you know, and I remember the people that were really thinking this was going to be legit. I love the humor that he puts into it. The stories are interesting. I love all the people that you hear about from the doctor and the nurse who's hopping on the lady's stomach trying to get the baby out um, (laughs) to the guy, Otis, who's going to live in his bunker with hamsters and eat them. I mean, like... That was worth the price of admission. So I would say
1: thumbs up. All right, Toby Ball, we're ready for your thumbs down for Surviving Y2K. Go ahead and give it to us.
3: Look, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i give it a thumbs up because Wait, I think what? it's...
1: <laughs> What's <laughs> happening?
2: Rebecca, did well, you I think, oversell
3: it? No. Well, this is the thing is that it's got a lot of problems, I think, but he's got a lot of good stories as well. And, you know, I wish that he had spent... Uh, and there's one episode that I haven't listened to because it's not out yet, but you know i wish he'd spent some more time on some of those stories but you know i'm not going to say thumbs down because it's got a lot of interesting stuff i just don't think ah god i like i don't want to be a jerk i just don't I, I just don't think it is as good as it could have been and i think there are things that didn't need to be done you know just little things that are written that i think take away from the overall picture. But for the most part, it's interesting. I mean, you keep listening to I, I, I'll listen to the last episode. So some of the stuff just isn't to my taste in the same way it is to say Rebecca and Lars.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I just think when I listen to your review and I read your notes, which I'm not going to read out loud, it's not for you. And that's OK. I mean, you can say it's interesting, but not to your tasting. that's fair. I, however, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is one of my favorite podcasts that I've listened to this year. If I were making my end-of-the-year list now, I would put this in the top three hands down. I love everything about this podcast. The only criticism I'm going to make of Headlong Surviving Y2K is its clumsy release in the same feed as Missing Richard Simmons I just sort of don't like the idea that we're just now going to go back in time and say, okay, Missing Richard Simmons was season one of a new thing.
2: You mean like they do it with Star Wars?
1: Dan Taberski is so good at this that, yes, I understand the that the idea now that he wants to create a thing where there will be seasons, but I also think that Dan Taberski is so good at this that he could just create a new feed for a new kind of story every single time, and I would follow him anywhere he goes, and I believe that other people would too. So... That's my only criticism, is that now Missing Richard Simmons is super hard to find on iTunes. I think this podcast is damn near perfect. I loved every minute of it. Kevin, what about you?
2: I'm a thumbs up. I really like the way that Dan tells the story. He is a very clever guy, a little cheeky, and that comes through in his writing style and in his interview style. He writes for himself himself better than anybody else. And it reminds me what I liked about Missing Richard Simmons. While it was a mystery of sorts, it was really his journey, and we liked his journey on this. And And he is the kind of person that we want to hear stories from. This does what, you know, Serial could not do, is pull together a bunch of different, shorter stories and Intertwine them in a way that makes it interesting and makes you want to listen all the way to the end to find out what happens to all of them. So I am a thumbs up on surviving Y2K. Is that a
1: big thumbs up? I saw you physically. I just do a my thumb. Th- yeah, it's a thumbs up. You never do that. You just like Roger Ebert did that. Like big thumbs up. Very impressive. Yeah, what's well, it's Such radio. big thumbs up that we're going to go
0: to Bob Blah Blah's chocolate
2: <laughs> shop. Bob Blah Blah's chocolate <laughs> shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, you don't have to go to Bob Blah Blah's chocolate shop if you want really great chocolate. You don't? You just go to thoughtfully.com Ooh, nice. and order one of their many gifts, including a Godiva chocolate package. Oh,
1: very nice. Perfect transition.
2: Thank you. Ooh, thoughtfully. Did you, Lara <laughs>
1: plan that?
2: That's <laughs> Well I had something else and I had to change it up because the <laughs> chocolate thing came up. It was too hard to resist. You gotta think about like who's like really hard to shop for. Everybody. Everybody, right? But there's always like maybe that aunt, maybe the boss, your or strange, sister. strange sister. Your strange sister, the babysitter. Who knows what it your
1: brother in law wants? What? You are a brother-in-law Nobody wants? knows what a brother-in-law wants. Come on.
2: That's where Thoughtfully comes in. You can find the perfect gift without it being stressful. Thoughtfully is the easiest way to find a thoughtful gift with beautiful gift sets that come ready to gift for any type of person or occasion. It's great because you go on the website and, you know, you like him or for her or different kinds of, of sentiments and, and holidays. And they'll like curate like a whole list of like, here's the like, you know, 10 things that you might like or here's 30 things that might fit that person. I ended up um, getting a gift package for somebody who's leaving work. Yeah. And uh, nobody's doing anything for her. Mm-hmm. So I did something nice. I was thoughtful. With so chocolate. nice.
1: she's not even going to be there to thank you. Good I know. You.
2: Yeah. So she got it came early. She got a, a Godiva chocolate. Uh, oh, was set. it your work wife? Yes, my work Aww, wife. I'm glad I'll you be, got that for her. I'll be missing her. It was a great price boy. It was a Billion things of chocolate, and okay, maybe not a billion, but it was a big set, and she was she was really really grateful. So there is something for everyone. You know, there's things like coffees and cocktails and hot they sauces. They have a
0: steak brander, Kevin. That's what I got for my brother-in-law. Which my yes. my brother raises beef, and I was like, how perfect! He can have a custom steak brander.
2: Yeah, for his beef. It's too big for hamsters. A uh, Thoughtfully's website <laughs> yeah. is easy to use, and you can even schedule gifts for future shipping. Thoughtfully has incredible deals for throughout December, so visit thoughtfully.com slash crime Crime. and use promo code crime Crime. for 20% off your order. That's thoughtfully.com slash crime Crime. and use promo code crime Crime. for 20% off.
1: What else you got, Kevin?
2: Well, if it's going to be a new year and you want to look your best. And who doesn't? Feel your best. Yes you got to get a FabFitFun box. That's
1: what I sent my sister for the holidays.
2: Yeah, the winter box is here, and it's a great holiday gift for your mom, your sister, for yourself. Yes. Uh, FabFitFun is a seasonal subscription box that's delivered four times a year with full-size fashion, beauty, home, fitness, and wellness products for just $49.99 a box. Good deal. Always a fantastic value. I opened it up because you got a box. You gave it to your sister. Yep. I got a box. I gave it to Lily, mm-hmm. but we opened it up first. You I'm know not po- have
1: a box right now? This girl doesn't have a <laughs> box right now. I need one of those. Get one for me.
2: So Lily and I went through it. I took a photograph. I'm going to post it on Twitter of all the great stuff. You'll see there's no like little travel size, safer TSA kinds of things. No, it's real stuff. It's all, it's all great stuff. Laura, I know you got a box too, right?
0: I did get a box and I loved it. And I have to tell you, I got these awesome wireless headphones and I was at the gym and I saw one of my friends exercising and I went over and I'm like did you get those headphones from FabFitFun? And she's like, I did. And we were like, (laughs) what? And she's like, I love that. And she was going on and on. She had gotten some hair conditioner and it was like the best thing that had ever been in her hair. But it was just like this strange, like, oh my God. I'm like, we're groupies now. We're like FabFitFun groupies. Oh my goodness. that I recognize products out in public.
2: Sign up for Fab Fit Fun today. Fab Fit Fun boxes make amazing gifts for the holidays. And if you use code CRIME, you can get $10 off your first box. So go to fabfitfun.com to sign up and start getting the box for a life well lived. Use promo code CRIME, CRIME to get $10 off your first box. That's
1: over $200 worth of stuff. It should be called Fun Fun Fun. 30. It's for only 39 bucks. <laughs>
2: Go to FabFitFun.com and use our code CRIME to get $10 off your first box.
1: What else you got, Kevin?
2: Well, Rebecca, the last way that you could get ready for Y2K is to start the new year by looking your best, your youngest. Yes. Starts with hair color.
1: Yes, I cannot start a new year without me some Madison Reed.
2: That's right. You know, for decades, women have had just two options.
1: Two terrible options. Like what? Make an expensive hair appointment, wait forever to go.
2: Or do it in your- buy
1: crappy hair color in the grocery store and then get like stained towels all over your house and have it not come out so great. It's like a
2: crime scene in the bathroom for trying to color your hair. That's why they created Madison Reed. Women deserve better than the status quo. It's reinventing the way that women color their hair by offering the quality of salon color, the convenience and affordability of at-home hair color, and an ammonia-free formula with ingredients that you can feel good about. You look like you just came from the salon, and it gives you more me time to do the things you love.
1: It's a win, 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 win.
2: Is there that many wins in it? It is. Amazing! You can experience beautiful, multidimensional hair color made in Italy, delivered to your door, and on your schedule for under $25. So join the hundreds of thousands of women who it's have loud. tried and loved Madison Reed.
1: I love it, and I've tried it, and I love it. Just find your perfect
2: <laughs> shade at madison-reed.com. Madison Reed would like to honor Crime Writers on listeners with 10% off, plus free shipping on their first color kit with promo code Crime writers. Crime writers. That's code Crime writers.
1: Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the week. 911 operators in Austin, Texas have been a little busier than usual, thanks to a Christmas display put up by a guy named Chris Heerline. Folks passing Heerline's house have been panicking because it appears a man is hanging from the roof after a failed attempt to hang up Christmas lights. But alas, that man is not really a man. Harline, you see, actually used a dummy to recreate the scene of Clark Griswold hanging from the roof in the 1989 movie (laughs) National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. So it's a dummy that's been hanging there, just looking like he can't reach a ladder that's fallen to the ground. But luckily for us, something else is adorning Harline's house. One of those handy security cameras, which captured a tense moment as a passerby yelled to the dummy, Can you reach it? Can you reach it?
2: (laughs) And getting no response,
1: because I remind you, it was a dummy. The good Samaritan then turned to the street and yelled, Help! (laughs) Before running to call the police. Harline did track down the man to thank him for his efforts and has since put up a sign letting people know the dummy Clark Griswold isn't real and is doing fine just where he is. Clark G is part of our Christmas display, the sign says. Please don't call nine one one. So my question: Did you also for- <laughs> get
2: tricked by that witch that looks like it hit the mailbox post,
1: <laughs> or one of those blow up uh, snowmen? Does he yeah. think that that's real yeah. and about to melt? Anyway, so my question for you panel is: What other movie scene would it be unwise to recreate? In your holiday lights display, Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? I have no idea,
0: honestly. I, I picked this crime out. I thought it was awesome, but I, I'm just not that creative. If I get lights up, it's amazing. So I, I wouldn't be in this. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be in this realm. You weren't.
1: What, what about you, Toby? What movie scene do you think it would be unwise to recreate in your holiday lights display?
3: Nine and a half weeks.
1: <laughs> oh, oh. <my> God. Wow. <laughs> Toby.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> My goodness. You, you need a lot more ice cubes.
1: Kevin, what do you think? What other movie scene would it be unwise for you to recreate in your Holiday Lights display?
2: Uh, Bruce Willis jumping off the top of Nakatomi <laughs> Plaza <laughs> with the exploding helicopter behind him.
1: Uh, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. It is gonna, a great Christmas movie. It is. Uh, I'm going to go with the very Christmassy holiday scene of uh, the human centipede. I do not think that would be wise to oh, win your Holiday wow. Lights display. <laughs>
2: How about the Bumpkiss's dogs running through like in a circle?
1: All right, we should probably end it on that note. But Laura Bricker, before we do, do we have a cat of the week this week? We have a dog just for you, Rebecca. Yay, my favorite animal.
0: So Krista Klein, she sends her dog Blaze. Blaze has a special job to do, he's a diabetic alert dog for her 11 year old daughter. Um, he's able to detect and alert when her daughter's blood sugar drifts into a dangerous range. He's also able to tell them about 15 to 20 minutes before this happens so they're able to treat it. We often call him a tattletale when he is alerting. He completes our family and gives us reassurance, saving my daughter's life on a daily basis. He is also your typical goofy lab. And we were warned when he was a puppy. He has a sense of humor and is a hand bone. He loves to find hair ties and play with them like a cat. So there's my cat of the week. Very nice. He also loves to compete in a sport called dock diving when there was a event around us. Um, so I, I love this. Um, so Krista, if you're listening, there is a great book about a diabetic alert dog called L and Coach and you should check it out. It's about a dog that lives right here in our state in New Hampshire. Do you guys know about that book?
2: Yeah, isn't that the granddaughter of Senator Yeah, Yeah. You
1: guys know a lot of stuff I don't know. Laura Bricker, people want to reach out to you with their animals, service or not, for cat slash dog slash pet slash iguana of the week. How can they find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if people want to reach out to you because surviving Y2K or any other thing that you don't like as much as I do also doesn't connect with them and they want to know they have a friend in the world, how can they find you on Twitter?
3: Mom, you can reach me at Toby Ball <laughs> and <H. laughs>
1: And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you and berate you. For not only buying Miracle up at the grocery store, but also accidentally purchasing gluten free <laughs> pasta. How can they find you online? I'm at Yippee Kaye, motherfucker! <laughs> but for real, how can they find you online? At Kevin B. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join our amazing community on the official Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular Facebook page. Go to our website, sign up for our newsletter, support the show on patreon.com slash partners in crime media, and you will get access to the Balls Deep Dive Book Club podcast and Laura Bricker's Rage Walking True Crime Fitness Fun Group. You can also get a free month of Stitcher Premium if you go to stitcherpremium.com slash crime and use the code crime Crime. when you join you get access to Mary with podcast a show that kevin and i make our theme song was performed by the new york sky jazz ensemble and used with their permission this show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in bay st louis mississippi studio otherwise known as studio c the closet in our basement where we have stashed our supply of canned goods and drinking water for the inevitable breakdown of society on behalf of all the crime writers thanks so much for listening we will catch you Later. Later.
2: Hello, hey, man.
1: I have an incredible story to tell you guys, and I can't wait to tell it on the podcast.
2: All right, oh, no. I can't we wait to, to wait? hear it.
1: No, oh, oh, we're not waiting. We're about to start the <laughs> podcast. What do you think we're doing? I think we're gonna like. Don't you
2: want to take twenty minutes? Do to a check knitting everybody's circle levels? first?
1: No, but I do want to check everybody's levels for briefly. All right, uh, Laura, what did you have for breakfast this morning, Bricks? Uh, I had English muffin with some
0: peanut butter and some jam and like three cups of coffee. Good. Perfect.
3: You don't want to get
1: old What'd man. you have, Toby?
3: I had green eggs and ham.
1: Oh, you did? <laughs> Toby, I am. That's good. I had
3: him in a car. I had him in a bar.
0: Partners Partners in in crime crime media. Media.
2: This holiday season, instead of standing in line for hours, head to Poshmark, the easiest way to buy and sell fashion items. Find all your favorite brands like Nike, Lululemon, and more for up to 70% off, all from the comfort of your own home. Today, you can get $5 off your first purchase when you enter the invite code CRIME5 when you sign up. Download the Poshmark app, sign up, and enter code CRIME5.